Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the broadcast. I'm your host, David Brooks, Head of Policy um, at Broadstone. And today I'm joined by two guests, two legends of the pensions industry. I'm joined by Kim Gubler and Leslie Carline, Directors at KGC. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're uh, laughing at our, our legends title. Yeah, legends yeah, in our own lifetime. Absolutely. Just wait till we become goats, Kim. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, that's more towards the end. I think you become a goat, isn't it? You get that respect <laughs> to being a goat. You guys aren't finished yet, I don't think. <laughs> Hope not. Yeah, Not absolutely. by a long shot. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about uh, as many admin topics as we can in about 30 minutes. We've got a long list of topics to talk about. There's so much going on. Um, and the top of our hit list is the well, management of capacity. So there's so many things going on, so many projects going on. How are we fitting it all in? And then on top of that, there's something that I think most third party administrators are experiencing um, is a recruitment challenge of just trying to att attract good quality administrators in to do this hard work. Um, so, Leslie, what, what are you, you seeing out there and what are the challenges as you see them and mm -hmm. solutions even? I don't know. Yeah, um, I think going back a few years, um, capacity crunch and challenge came up as a key concern in the KGC administration fee and services survey. So mm. we did start talking about it a good few years ago, we knew it was coming, the writing was on the wall, but boy has it hit and it has hit hard. Um, and I think the industry itself is partly to blame. We did have a situation where employee benefit consultancies used to grow their own. We had organisations saying, oh, we've got our own little university, we take them in young, we take them from school, we put them through the PMI qualifications. And I remember being involved in education at the PMI and we saw student numbers dropping. And it wasn't necessarily because people weren't putting um, their youngsters through the qualifications. It was the fact that they didn't really have the youngsters. So we've had a, a period where... COVID has made a lot of people reevaluate their lives. And we've mm. seen experienced people who have got very good pensions because they're in the pensions industry take advantage of early retirement and, and go off to pastures new. So we do have this situation where there is a capacity crunch because there is a lack of resources. But there's also obviously a, a capacity crunch because of everything that is happening and it's all happening at once. And plus we've got seven new consultations coming out. Somebody has to do the work that's involved in it. Mm. Um, and so what are they actually doing? Well, to be honest, it is a bit of having to, there's a lot of stealing going on, poaching from other providers, which all that's doing is putting up um, salaries and also putting people in positions where they shouldn't be. People are being offered promotions before their time, which is not a good thing for the organisation or for that person. It puts too much pressure on them. And ultimately uh, it puts up, um, you know, organisations or administrators can't absorb those costs. Mm. It's going to put up fees for yeah. the same service. 
And I think one of the things is that um, we are seeing um, organisations reintroducing Grow Your Own. Uh, a lot of organisations have had apprenticeships, but it a lot of them are actually geared at actuaries, but it's not actuaries that are doing this work, it's administrators. So we're really heartened to see a lot of a turnaround in this this theory of bringing in apprenticeships. And they're bringing them in from school, from uh, university, but also from other industries. A lot of transferable skills, particularly in in contact centres where that person has to be very good with talking to the public um, and being able to communicate. So it is going to take a while for mm. this to to be done away with. But that's, that is the thing. As you talk about we've got this issue now. And so whilst organisations are putting it um, pr- into practice, sort of ways of in growing their workforces and reskilling their workforces were because we'll talk about sort of the changing phase of that in, in, in a minute mm. um that you know to to train an administrator up so that you can actually set them free um at least 18 months and usually, you know, we don't actually stop learning, but but to keep them to to make them relatively self reliant. So, if you're doing that, we've got it. We've got issues here and now, mm. and that's that's where sort of you, you've got um, organisations that are that are really having issues because what they're doing is they're losing, as Leslie was saying, that their good people are being poached, and you. And they're trying desperately to hold on to. So that's where they're moving for um, using sort of giving people the opportunity to work flexibly, whether that be in hours or in location um, and how they how they actually deliver the work. Anything to try and and maintain the stability, which Mm. is so important with that continuity of, of knowledge when you're administering, particularly DB schemes. Yeah, And technology has a role to play in reducing the capacity crunch, but technology requires resources too. So it's not just your administrator, it's your developers, it's your business analysts, it's your project managers. And these resources are scarce as well within our mm. industry. They're um, actually scarce across the piece, aren't they? They're, they're scarce outside of the industry. Well, that's it. I mean, I, yes. I wrote, when you were talking about taking skills from outside the pension industry and bringing them in, and also in, in conjunction talking about people being promoted or perhaps moved within a, a business that, when it's not best their skill set, I do think that project management, I mean, I know lots of colleagues, and I know lots of companies that do this as well. You know, you, you set up a GMP project team or a, a data transition team and all these teams, and you pick good administrators, they end up becoming project managers. And you're thinking, well, you know, they were great with the members, they were great with the trustees, they were great at doing this. And now those skills are being, because just because they were good at those things, they're now doing something different. And but perhaps that, I mean, that that's, is that. That's a perennial issue, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you, what you do, it's like engineers. You yeah. have a, a great engineer and then you put them in charge of people. Typic, not typically something that they're that that they're actually good at, and that's one mm. of the reasons why, when people are assessing whether um, 
whether people are, are good for a job. That's why it's it's you know not just looking at the competencies, but what sort of your characteristics, your personality characteristics, all of those things. Looking at mm. so not just doing um, having an interview and looking at what you've been doing for the last few years, but actually saying, are you the right person? Do you have the right skills? Can you can you build those skills? Because mm. sometimes no, they can't. Yeah. I mean, the, I remember years ago working, I was working in a, a pension software company and it was recognised that there were people who didn't want to be promoted and they became experts. And there was a mm. separate pay uh, grade for them. So they were almost like super cons- mm. you know, consultants and, and they were recognised financially for that because the knowledge they had was so useful for passing on to youngsters coming through but they didn't want the responsibility of management and they Mm. they recognized that and the company recognized it so maybe we need some more pragmatism there as well Mm. well certainly sort of when you know you you asked one of the things about sort of um, what do we see administration in the future and as you know we're both connected to 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 uh, Passa, and when when Passa was when we were looking at at the um, business strategy, you know what will administration look like in te- you know ten years time? Of course, no 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 one of us actually knows exactly, but what we can do is you can look at what you know what themes might come down the line, and uh, we we looked at different scenario planning, but even within that, there are common themes, and the common theme is we will need subject matter experts. And you don't want to promote them up out of administration. And that's why administration has to be um, a, a career path in and of itself. But as you know, we've, we've, Leslie and I have talked about administration now is, is completely different mm. to 10 years ago and transformed from when we first started in the industry. So, so how, how has it changed in the last 10 years then? So what was, what, what were the, maybe not all of the changes, but what were the key differences between the role 10 years ago? I mean, I was, I started out in 2000 at Watson, Watson Wyatt on Tothill Street, good old days. Um, oh, yeah. Going back a bit. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, when I talked to him and I luckily I got, not not for me personally, but luckily for the, the, the the pension industry, I got out of admin because I was a terrible administrator. And I've said that before on the podcast, so that's fine. I don't mind admitting it. It wasn't my strengths. It wasn't my strengths dealing with calculations and things like that. So they got me out of there and filing, terrible at filing, terrible at filing things away, very messy. So, you know, but how has it changed? What are the fundamental differences between administrators? If you took if you, if you took one out of sort of cryogenic fro- frozen administrator 10 years ago and said, right, I'd, go I be an administrator think, now. I don't think they would recognise it. You know, as you know, I, I remember in sort of 88 having um, a calculator which didn't look anything like the calculators we have now a a record card and as you say you had to file it nowadays um, it is completely different and Leslie I'll let you say that because I know it's the thing that you like to say (laughs) what say what (laughs) what an administrator is now so yeah, I suppose when you when you look at administrators and um, they would come in, they would sit and they would do a calculation, as you were saying. But administrators don't do that anymore. Yes, they do calculations, but they press buttons and it gets done on a system for them. They don't have to sit there with a calculator. 
But what they are, administrators may start off by doing the cradle to grave um, activities, but they move on to being um, communicators, call handlers, uh, professional geeks, David, stroke nerds. I mean, it, apparently mm. it's okay to be a geek, but getting to be a pensions nerd is a bit different. But there are so many different paths in pensions. Mm. You can be a DC administrator, a DB administrator. You can specializing at retirement guidance. You know, you can specialize in being pensions technical. You can be uh, a, a sort of that go between between systems and um, administrators. So there's so many different roles and we haven't even started on communication. Yeah, and exactly. pensions administration, consultancy, you name it within the administration these days. And then we're bringing in other skill sets as well, such as behavioral specialists and and the list goes on. Mm. Because when you, at, I was going to say, I'm going over to get, getting excited we just now. Get, we get too excited. We're saying. <laughs> There's a lot of time before this happened. It's I know, <laughs> I know. know that. But, but when you're sort of saying sort of um, how has it changed 10 years ago, um, actually, more than 10 years ago, probably 15 years ago, I was talking to third party administrators and saying, you know, you should be doing administration consulting. People need, you know, don't don't get your actuary doing consultants because that's you can go around. You know, there are if you look at some scheme designs from, from old schemes, you, you can practically recognize which which consultancy they came from, because whether they had some new idea that came around, particularly sort of DC with GMP underpins and things like that. Dreadful thing. Um, yes. But you know all of these things that seemed okay in practice, it, you know, in theory, when you tried to put them into practice, um, that's when it started to to become more and more complicated, more and more expensive, and introducing more and more risk. Mm. Whereas at least now we are moving along the line of it's 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 not perfection it's not excellent but it is people are talking to their administrators at the strategic stage bringing them in and starting to say well you know is they so it's it's, it's more a consultation that the administrator doesn't quite have a voice yet but they are they are beginning to be consulted no i think that's massive i think what you're i do remember being in trustee meetings here and the scheme actually or even you know the actuarial student who's along doing the admin report and it devalues the whole thing because you know the, the questions come up oh well, we're talking days before they're anonymized but you know mrs smith's retires oh i used to go to I used to work with her down in the in the stores you know oh what you know how is she kind of thing and this person doesn't know but if you get the administrator in there they might say oh i spoke to her yeah i, I, I work on quite small schemes generally so you have that real connection between trustee admin member and trustees love that. I mean, I've again lots of member nominated trustees and employed trustees, and they love that connection. And it also elevates, and it has elevated, you know, administration as being equal. It's still, it's still lower down the agenda and everything else. It's still admin, actuarial investment than admin. Sometimes I mix it up to make it more it's fun. Not, it's, but it, it's, it's, it's not but sexy. It, it's not, I don't think admin. I think it is. Oh, it's sexy to us. It's sexy. No, but it is. No, I think it is because you know you talk about it as. So what is the key area where things go wrong and there's friction? It's admin. Admin, mm -hmm. admin, admin, admin. And what's what what drives your, uh, your valuation? Admin, uh, data. What will drive you? What, what will stop you looking like an ugly duckling? And there's a nice, you know, a nice looking duck to get for buyout. Admin. Your data's good. 
the insurers were like you. You know, so, this, it's just come through to everything. Effectively, yeah. right, you two, effectively, like, calm down. <laughs> Let's not get too excited here. But administration, and it's something we've always said, is the window of the pension scheme. <clears throat> so if you don't get your administration right, then we soon know about it. <clears throat> but what causes administration to go wrong is not necessarily administrators. They are just a a horrible thing to say, but they are a cog in a supply chain. Yes, and they're also a conduit. So, yes. I mean, when you've got open pension schemes, you've got employers who are providing information. And uh, think about the big master trusts that are being used for auto-enrolment. One of the issues with matching that we've got sort of coming up mm. is the fact that you've you've got employers who have no statutory duty to provide accurate information. So if they've got 30 people that they're enrolling in the pension scheme, they can go up. If they don't have their national insurance number, they can all go up with the same national insurance number. Now, the, the, the scheme might correct that and then because the employer hasn't changed the information on their upload, if the, it can overwrite the bad information, that overwrites the good information with bad information. So sort of, because that was one of the things within the smallpox consultation, we'd say, you know, you don't, this isn't something, this is a, a place where administrators are done too. Mm. by another sector and so there has to be some responsibility outside of that um that, that is that seems to be um you know i don't want to do the oh where is me poor little administrators we've got it so hard but how many times through through legislation or by the fault of some overreactory is the administration part of pensions done too auto-enrolments, it was not a pensions bit of regulation. It no. was an employment regulation, but it was administrators who had to sort out the rubbish because the payroll systems couldn't get their act together in time. So all these um, software people and TPAs had to fudge that AE administration until payroll providers got their act mm. together. Um and it's quite interesting. I knew we'd get onto the dashboard sooner or later, but we did manage to go quite a few minutes without it being mentioned. <laughs> but KGC did do some work for um, a, a, an ISP. And one of the things we were asking when we were surveying the TPAs was um, the timelines and are you going to basically be ready? And it was really telling that one of the administrators turned around and said, we're going to have to be, we've been here before, we're never given enough time, we're never given enough information, but we always pull the rabbit out the hat at the end of the day. And I think that that is kudos to administrators that are able to do that, you know, working their backsides yeah. off to try and get things right. But Absolutely. Should, why should and it there be is that a way? but. Yeah. But why should it be that way? Yeah. Yes. Well, the the thing is, say for example, you know, you have to think about dashboards in that that this is the largest project, cross industry project that has ever happened, and a lot of the industry, you know, we don't expect those that were previously not going to stage until maybe next year or the year after, but the the level of readiness was significant 
and you know need to sort of carry on with that so if you go back looking at what was what was administration like 10 years ago it was undervalued it was classed as a bureaucratic you know um, I've, I've always said that the word administrator it's it's sort of it almost conjures up pictures in a stuffy room with a with a quill pen and and <laughs> and the like whereas it was now administration is at the forefront of change it is mm. supporting every as leslie said sort of every initiative that comes down the line you've got administration underpinning the success of that and I think, you know, that it goes to something that, you know, DWP um, and uh, sort of PDP and various other three-letter acronyms, they're all engaging with administration because they know that it's it's a, it's a critical driver. But I, I'm going to do on. a bit of smoke blowing here. So Kim is going to cringe, but I think part of this move in perception of administration has been vastly helped along the way by the work that Kim and Passa have oh. been doing in putting it for at the front and centre and saying, waving the flag, saying, mm. yes, we want to be good, we want to make things better, we understand the role administration has to play in making member outcomes work. But you... You, Mr. Regulator, you, actually it's Mrs. Regulator at the moment, but mm. you, <laughs> government, have mm. to appreciate that we have to be consulted and we have to be heard because we are the ones that have to do this. It's all very well and good you sitting there going, oh, this is really pretty la-di-da, but the mechanism, the machinery and everything that underpins all that fluffy stuff comes down to the administrators and to some extent even worse the poor systems providers yeah it's I th interesting I think as well just just to add on the the blowing the smoke for Paza I, mean, I do I do think just to build on it does like the perception of Paza as a cross-industry thing I, th I think that's what's elevated it it's elevated the conversation it's elevated the voice you know so we've got concentration responses and you always get the actuaries the actuaries always respond and you know the big the big um tpas always respond the ebcs respond but then you have the administrator's voice and then you see who's part of that working group and you have so many working groups on paza you know and it's across industry and i think that's what's mm -hmm. changed it you know actuaries have loved have lovely get-togethers they share knowledge and you know they share a lot of experience across themselves and i think for admin to do that has been a big change because it means that there's a bit more confidence. There's a bit more something behind us. And I think that's absolutely I think well, that's you see, a big change. When when Pathifer first started, there was there was a lot of sensitivity mm. with the you know with the TPAs about the sort of well if I share what what's part of my my um sort of key differentiator, will I will I lose? And actually what 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 what's been the result of it is everybody gains. Mm. And that's the thing. And and better still, pension scheme members gain as well. So you, you talk about sort of has quality improved? Mm. There yeah, are still things. Yeah, there's, there's still things that go wrong. Clearly, there there will always be things that when you have people mm. involved, yeah. things will go wrong. Yes. But if you look at the expectations now, as opposed to the expectations 10 years ago. Expectations 10 years ago was, you know, could you write a letter? Did you have that? I mean, one of the bugbears that we have, both Leslie and I and and, and all of us within within KGC, is this this reliance on SLAs. Mm. The, 
these that the timing hasn't changed since people wrote letters into a pension department and somebody did a calculation and then wrote a letter back and mm. all of those are still in con in in many contracts I, we have seen the movement so so there are organizations that haven't got so many legacy systems and have been able to move the SLAs on to two days and as it comes in the door it's worked on but it comes down to them measuring just one little bit mm. of a member's experience um you know we do have some providers will provide end-to-end measurements others will provide members they'll keep it internally accuracy reporting mm. but and we're seeing more in terms of sort of the quality aspects. Yeah. I really think there needs to be a step back and a rethink, especially when you've got things like value for money coming through the door. Mm. And there is a degree of, well, what are you getting for your administration piece? Is it worth the money? Because some, somewhere in, in, in the consultation, there is a little bit on administration once you've got past all the investment stuff. Yeah. Um, am I bitching again? I can't help I think myself. You are. Yes, I'm you sorry. are. I'm going to put an E on this, on this episode now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you dropped the B bomb. Oh, my life. Oh, you're going to cut that bit out. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I can't be bothered. That's too, no. that's too difficult. I can't do but it. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's about having, you know, wanting to develop KPIs mm. that, that, that are real. Because for just having time-based you know, and and people talk about oh well, every administrator when you speak to them say oh you know we're a because we what differentiates us is we have great people and we and we are quality administrators like well, that's what everybody says and that's Prove actually it. to be and to be honest, that's what you should say. That is not you being a differentiator. That's that's you doing what you're paid for. So if you were to talk to a board of trustees. Um, what three things do you think they should? How would how should they measure the the quality of their their admin? What would be the three questions they should ask? I would want to, one of them in particular. I would want them to be a, be be testing um, what they call the sort of the member experience. I yes. know sort of net promoter scores. Sort of some administrators use those, but but you need to you can you can you can wangle anything when mm. you sort of depending on what 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 where you ask and how you ask it mm. so asking at different times i mean there, there's there are one or two administrators out there now that's really pushing the boat out but in order to do that they're collecting a huge amount of information uh, you know at mi through every interaction whether that's online or um, by telephone and so you've got to have some cohesion of of all of those metrics to be able to put them together and that's quite a lot of work you can't do it on a standard um administration platform you 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 need sort of something around the outside to do that yes leslie go ahead we'll go for one each then in the interest of time we'll do three leslie what, was, what would you think i think um one of the things that I would need to look, ask a, a trustee to look at is speaking to their existing clients mm. and 
the reason that being, if you are a new client, there's almost this belief that you will be looked after because you're a new client. But as a new client comes along, and you'll be replaced in the in in the loved up bit. Um, <laughs> so it's the longevity of of clients yes. and the ability to retain the, the, those clients, um, the loyalty. I mean, there's mm. nothing speaks better than your your client base. I love the idea of keeping the love in a relationship, a few date nights for your trustees, yeah. that kind of thing. Absolutely. Show them you cared. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, okay. you know, we, we say before, we've said before, get your clients to be your advocates. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're getting, we're, we're pushing up on, on time. So I did want okay. to just, oh, go on, Leslie, you're waving there, your finger at me. Go on. Right. There is one thing I wanted to touch on, which is a major bugbear okay. of both Kim and I's. And because things are changing in administration and what is expected from an administrator, trustees need to keep on top of their contracts with their administrators. Oh yeah. Um, some of the ones we've seen recently go back decades and the schedule of service is certainly inappropriate, but they just keep on paying their administrators and what are they paying the administrators for? And then if an administrator comes and says, like, we've got to charge you extra, well, why are you charging us extra? Well, it's not in the contract. Well, you haven't talked to us about the contract. So there's a bit of um, uh, the client relationship managers from the providers Mm. should be pushing for reviews. And the trustees should be aware that administrators provide so much more than they've ever done before. I mean, when we're carrying out our admin surveys, we have to keep extending the list of the the core services that we expect. Mm. So if you're paying um, TPAA £10, but they're now delivering £15 worth of of service, whose fault is it when the TPA gets upset because they're not making any money on you? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you're not getting the service because you're not paying them a a, a reasonable fee for it. Okay, I'm glad I let you have the third one. That was a good one. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, that's a good one. I mean, that's it. It's easy to sleepwalk through these things. You're getting a service and then you just carry on. But definitely... Okay, well, I want to ask you just one last question, just just because I've got two women here. So we're going to talk about women in pensions just for a second. And I just, there's the, the Women in Pensions Award is coming up soon as well, I think, anyway. Oh, so, yeah. so it's two successful women in pensions as role models. How do you think, well, how do you think the industry's changed for women's experience in pensions? <laughs> and you, you mentioned earlier we've got a women TPR, so that's great. Um, uh, women's regulator. But, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but how's it changed and how do you think it is for women in pensions? We were chatting about this earlier and I was um, explaining that when I went for my second ever job in pensions, I insisted on on speaking to some people who worked there. And the uh, software development director came in in a trouser suit and I was like, oh, my God, you're allowed to wear trousers. <laughs> wow. And this was in 1997. Yes, but I, I worked in 1997 and was able to wear trousers, so obviously you, she just you, went to the posh places. You were down south, up in the north, the frozen north. So, you know, we, we thought people down south sort of wore makeup and wore trousers, didn't wear trousers suits. Yeah, that's but, right. But all joking apart, one of the things that we, we were talking about, Kim and I, earlier, because we, we just couldn't help but chat about this subject, is that 
we when you had a female boss in the 1990s they were hard as nails because they had to be it was almost like they had to outbloke the blokes whereas nowadays women are recognized for having different skill sets and approaching things in a slightly different way and it's totally acceptable i mean why wouldn't it be but back in those days it was you had to emulate a man to, to yeah. be in a man's job which mm-hmm. was senior um, jobs were were deemed to be but we still there is still this thing with women in that you know there's there's this story that if if uh, a prospective job has got nine aspects to it and the woman can't tick off all nine she won't go for it because she hasn't done it but if the man can do five they'll go well go for it because it's it's just a different thing so basically i think you know women need to be more bold they need to be more can do and they need to be more um more risky and sort of we, we tend we tend to be less i'm just wondering whether we're falling into the thing of making the person be more like the bloke what is it not on the recruiter to be a bit more open and saying you know if, acknowledging the fact that people look at these things in different ways say if you don't tick all these boxes we'll we might still talk to you you know just, just it give is it, quite give difficult it a go. Because just just sort of, I know we are really, really close to time, but there's two things sort of on recruitment. Yeah, on recruitment now, a lot of it that the the coming down to a shortlist is 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 done through AI. It's, you know, there isn't a person involved. So actually, it does depend on 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 how that algorithm to be able to come to a shortlist is is created. It is a bit of a black art on 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 that way. The good part about it is it tends to be sex, ethnicity and religion agnostic. So basically, they are just looking at those capabilities. You know, interviewing is probably the least um, effective way of getting someone to come into your organisation. But if we can look at what what skills and competencies and behaviours does a particular job require and then matching to that, mm. then at least from a recruiter's point of view, you're doing what you can. But the person still needs to put themselves forward. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the the, the things that has, has come through from this DE&I perspective is people are taking the this seriously in Mm. understanding that women will be put off certain job roles and are looking at the wording that they use in the job advertisement so that women aren't put off by it. So that Mm. is a start. But I think one thing we also need to look at is not losing women from the pensions industry. Um, I'm both of us, I think, have judged diversity and inclusion yeah. in very either women in pensions or the professional pensions or et cetera, all the other magazines. And every so often you get a flavour of the month. And the last mm. couple of years, the flavour of the month has been menopause because one in 10 women will leave their jobs because of what they go through with the menopause. And you may call it the Davina effect or whatever, mm. Miss OBE, MBE, whatever she's got from doing it. Mm. But there is now a greater understanding that a woman going through the menopause has the same sort of, of issues as members of 
you know, when when ladies are pregnant and their hormones go all over the place. Mm. That's a terrible example. Why did I come up with that one? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I got it. I think that's fine. <laughs> people, people, because women who are pregnant, they have a bump, and it's it's evident. Yeah, they're it's pregnant. visible. And, it's and people will yeah. will give them space and and be accepting of they might get a little bit forgetful or whatever mm. um, because your hormones play up but if you're a woman through the menopause the only you, you don't have any any outward signs apart from when you're having a hot flush yeah mm. it's those invisible things isn't it you never know what someone's going yeah. through exactly to, that's, know, that's only one symptom out of you yeah. know a list yeah, yeah. of over 40 odd symptoms that they can have yeah. so we need to retain women in our industry because we've already talked about the the capacity crunch yeah so retention yeah. was a big part actually i wanted to come in then but you know talking about retention is a as a bigger as a bigger challenge as getting people in the door is stopping them going out the other end i think that was absolutely that's a key observation yeah. from that conversation yeah right before we start going round again i know i'm sorry <laughs> no no no, no I, could just, I could just see myself doing it and starting it up again and another thing and another thing yeah. okay so can we I needed at least three hours for this conversation day well, and I, maybe wine if we'd introduce wine we'd never stop I, i'm not sure i would get the listeners on the wine one but anyway we'll do that anyway okay. just do it don't record yeah. it maybe yeah. nice. thank you both for your time this afternoon talking to me i've really enjoyed it and your insight has been fantastic so thank you for that well thank you very much for asking us oh. and thank you for having us at oh, the same time you're very brave <laughs> i think i got away with it <laughs> just I, might not listen, but so. I won't listen back to it i'll just never know okay <laughs> so on that note <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to the broadcast and we'll see you again next time thank you take care bye bye, bye. And we're clear, it doesn't matter.